Hi, everyone. This is America Adapts, the climate change podcast. Hey, Adapters, this is Doug Parsons, your host of America Adapts, the climate change podcast. I am on location in beautiful St. Paul, Minnesota at the National Adaptation Forum. So I've already completed day one. So my purpose was to go around and to talk to different folks. Why are they coming to this forum and talk about some things that they're doing and what their expectations from the forum are. For those of you who are not familiar with the forum, it's kind of the premier adaptation event held every two years, and I have some guests that explain a little bit more detail what it's all about. You guys can probably hear some sounds in the background. That's the city of St. Paul and some birds. I'm currently overlooking the Mississippi River, which runs right next to downtown St. Paul. It's quite lovely. So, again, this is kind of an unusual episode. I'm doing a daily digest, and I'll probably have another one out tonight just highlighting what's going on here. So stay tuned and kind of listen in from a diversity of folks working in adaptation and um, a little bit of housekeeping. If you're new to the podcast, there, please consider subscribing. You're on iTunes. Just look for America Adapts. Also, there's a Facebook group and a community group. And please, the, I've mentioned this before, and it's true. The highlight of my week was when I, when I hear from folks why they listen to the podcast, if they have recommendations for guests, do it. Every week I get two or three or even more, and I love it. I love hearing from you. And so I'll have more housekeeping at the end of the episode. But let's just jump right into this form. Very exciting. Hey, Adapters. We are back. I am with the godfather of the National Adaptation Forum. I'm not a godfather. Do I look like a godfather? It just sounds so so much of an authority. But uh, James Brown. <laughs> okay, so I'm here with Laura Hansen. If that name sounds familiar, Laura has been on the podcast before with Jenny Hoffman, my first three-way conversation on the podcast. Welcome, Laura. Thanks. Great being here. Congratulations. This is the third National Adaptation Forum. This is the third National Adaptation Forum. We have doubled in size since the first National Adaptation Forum. Okay, walk us through a little bit of history. Tell me how many people showed up to the first, how many showed up to the second, and how many are here this week. So in 2010, we started planning the first forum, which happened in 2013. And we initially thought 150 people might show up, maybe 200 if we were lucky. So we didn't really plan for a lot of people. At 500 people in Denver in 2013, the fire marshal told us we couldn't have any more people come. We did have a couple people uh, crash. Carl Pope, I might point out, crashed the first one, new booked out with uh, Mayor Bloomberg. Um, and then in 2015, we had the second National Adaptation Forum in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, the first one I might point out was affected by the federal shutdown. Um, the second one, everyone got to come. And this year, we have a little bit of challenge, but not much. And we're a 1,000 people in St. Paul, Minnesota. Okay, so I'm doing a Daily Digest where I've talked to a lot of the people attending this and just a little bit of history myself. I was a Fed, so I missed the first one. The second one I got to go to in St. Louis, beautiful event. I really loved it. And the facility was excellent. But for listeners out there that aren't here at the forum, what is the National Adaptation Forum? 
The National Adaptation Forum is the uh, gathering of the tribes of cake, is how I like to say it. So another program that EcoAdapt runs is the Climate Adaptation Knowledge Exchange, which is your online adaptation destination. But the goal of the National Adaptation Forum is to let people exchange all of the ideas that are nested in that database in person so that we can move the field ahead. It's designed like a scientific conference in that everyone submits proposals for talks that they want to give. Uh, a group of peers on a steering committee review the hundreds, literally hundreds of proposals that come in um, and try and put together a program that's representative of all the ideas but not overly duplicative. Um, and gives people a sense of what are the innovative things that are coming out and how can we move the field forward. So it's three days of four separate concurrent sessions, 12 concurrent sessions per multi-session. There's a lot of adaptation going on for three days. Okay, and so it's always been my sense that there was a natural resource emphasis in things early on, but I really feel like there's been a strong pivot. Adaptation, which I try to talk about in my podcast is a much bigger universe and i feel like this forum is getting there right and so are you pretty happy with the diversity of people attending uh yeah i mean when i first started working in this field it really was a natural resource issue for the most part because that's where the earliest impacts were seen i mean the first adaptation work was really happening in the coral reef world um, because of coral bleaching and global climate events um, and then slowly you started seeing more natural disaster, human response, planning for climate refugees, planning for impacts on maintaining city services. Um, and it's become, quite frankly, a much more pedestrian uh, issue. Everyone now recognizes that it has something to do with them. And that means that the field has grown from a niche to pretty broad. So any sense of what the next one will be like? I'm assuming you haven't picked a location yet, but any kind of like nuggets of like inside of what's going to happen in 2019? I couldn't even begin to guess. I had no idea that this would happen this year. Um, we are, uh, we would love, uh, uh, bids from cities that would like to host a forum. We, this, the forum in St. Louis, this, in St. Paul this year has been fantastic. The Twin Cities have so much adaptation already going on. There's engagement at the city level. There's engagement at the state level. There's engagement at the, we had a Senator Franken, uh, checked in with us this morning in a pre-recorded video message to forum attendees. Uh, finding another city like this that is as engaged and interested um, would be delightful. So we don't know where it's going to be in 2019, but if you have an idea of a city that has stuff going on that wants to partner with us, we'd love to hear from them. Okay, so last night during one of the networking events, there was a whole bunch of awards uh, handed out, and it was pretty conspicuous that America Adapts was locked out of the whole awards. What could you say to my <laughs> listeners to assure them that this is a transparent, legitimate process? I'm pretty certain that next year... Uh you should just have your own award. I'd be happy to present it to you. Um, in fact, we could do that as a webinar later this year if you're interested. Um, I think pretty much you have to show your face and, and play a bigger role in the space. You're pretty new to the game, quite frankly. I mean, you've got a large body of work, but it's only been for a year or so. And the folks who got awards last night, uh, they've been at this for like a decade. Okay, message received. And we've got a couple days left. Uh, any preview of what's coming up for people that might not be here? Uh, so first of all, for people who can't be here, you can tune in on uh, via the interweb, and all of the plenary sessions are streaming. After this event, the recordings of all those sessions will also be posted. So uh, 
tune in uh, so you can be part of the action here and you can also follow a lot of what's going on with the hashtag NAF 2017. The program is full every day of the broadest section of things going on. There is There are tribal sessions every day. There are natural resource sessions every day. There are tribal and natural resource sessions. That wasn't a great deal of diversity right there. Um, There's a lot of urban planning work going on. There's a couple of really cool sessions coming up on public health. Um, There are a couple of sessions in the working groups, which start tomorrow, where people will be teaching you how to play a variety of games to educate and build capacity in your community around climate change issues. So there's a lot going on. At the end of the forum... Everything that happened here is being archived on the Climate Adaptation Knowledge Exchange, cakex.org. So you can look at the presentations, view the posters, um, and find links to uh, either the websites of the people who did the work or find the people themselves. Okay, last question. What excites you about the field of adaptation? Adaptation is perhaps the most creative open space for figuring out what the next step is. We don't know all the answers yet. The amount of uh, scientific experimentation that's available just as well as human ingenuity abounds. Um, And so if you were going to find the nexus of science and creativity, adaptation is it. Okay, thanks, Laura. And so it just occurred to me, like, I get to see Laura once in a while, and it's always fun to catch up. And do you remember when we first met? I I know. We were at Snowbird at the Wildlife Society Conference, and I was sitting at one table, and you were sitting at another table, and I forgot who it was with, and you invited me over to come sit with you. And here we are, like, what, 10 years later. So do you remember that dinner? I do, in fact, remember that dinner. I don't remember who you were with. Well, you were with with someone. I joined you and someone else. Oh, I was with Rachel Gregg, another member of our team. Okay. Yeah. Very exciting, and here we are, still chatting. All right. Still chatting. All right. Thanks, Laura. Thank you very much. Hey, everybody. I'm back. I am with Beth Gibbons, another familiar name, the managing director of the American Society of Adaptation Professionals. Hey, Beth. Hi, Doug. Where are we at today? Well, here we are in beautiful St. Paul and the opening day of the National Adaptation Forum. So how important is this event for your organization? It's critically important. It's a way for us to measure what is the state of the field, to identify where ASAP is and leadership in the field, to really see people come together. It's an opportunity to achieve our core mission of connecting and supporting adaptation professionals and making that an ever, ever growing circle of people that are part of our organization. Well, I jumped right into it, but I, I forgot to mention that you and I have established this semi, I don't know, formal partnership, but we're sort of promoting each other. You'll hear me talk about ASAP on the podcast. And what are you going to do for me? Whoa, what are we going to do for you? So we already have some of the incredible America Adapts material out of the ASAP booth. We are going to be pushing out the America Adapts podcast through our regular newsletters and of course featuring the great work that you doug and others do and talk about through the podcast on our website right so the asap membership will be a great trove of people that i can have on the podcast and do you already have a couple names in mind well i think that we already do but to just tick off some that i know you've already spoke to you spoke with rebecca esselman you spoke with myself sasha peterson really when you think about the leaders in the field so many of them are already asap members it's almost hard to run a podcast like yours without running into us so you know i think the next step the people i would say you should talk to would be missy stoltz if you haven't already done that she is absolutely a thought leader in this space 
And then, of course, I think it'd be good to turn to some of our other uh, Prize for Progress winners, the folks that were announced just yesterday. David Bihar from the city of San Francisco has done incredible leadership in putting together guidance on how do we integrate climate change information into sea level rise planning. Talking with folks from the Menominee Tribal Enterprise, the tribes there have been doing great work in thinking about the future of forests in their region. The forests are incredibly important to their economy and the way that they've been reforesting to prepare for climate change is really innovative. So, yeah, I could probably drop names all day about people you should be interviewing, and I would love to hear more of their stories from you. So yesterday we were at a members meeting that was just before the the forum, and I went to that. I thought it was really good. Some nice discussions with folks. A couple plugs from people on the podcast. I appreciate that. You never know when you randomly hear folks. But so what are your expectations for ASAP going forward after that members meeting? I think that we have a tremendous amount of energy coming out of that meeting. It was the first annual ASAP member meeting. And from here, I see us really carrying forward our newly established mission and vision and looking out for the way that ASAP will continue to support and connect people, taking our code of ethics that's just been finished and building that into principles for the field. Also taking our newly minted review of promising practices and needs and starting to establish the core principles of this field and really building out um, some important curriculum and training materials around how to do this work ethically, equitably, and really efficiently. Because if we don't hurry up and get it done, we are on a time-limited basis here. So here we are in Minnesota, and I've spent quite a few minutes on my podcast bashing the Midwest. And so do you think that's fair of me? Oh, no, absolutely not. I mean, you look at what has gone on here. I started some of my first adaptation work going between the Twin Cities, um, between St. Paul and thinking about how do we vision for the future. This is a city that really is visionary. They think about resilience. They think about it in a in a context of how do we take um, the future that we want and build ourselves there in the face of change. I've also worked in Minneapolis, and in Minneapolis, they've come at this from a vulnerability context. And you really see an opportunity here to tackle challenges like climate change, Personally, this is maybe not saying why the Midwest is the best, but one of the things that I think is really unique when you think about the Twin Cities and my experiences here is after you had the bridge collapse that happened in 2007, it suddenly became a wake-up call to people throughout the region that the unthinkable can occur. And because you have this standard of that the unthinkable is possible, tackling climate change actually becomes something that people really will dig into here because they recognize that you can't just put off that unthinkable event, that you have to address it now because it could be with you tomorrow. And I think it's been a watershed. It's really a watershed moment in this region and the way that they look to the future and the way that they address potential crisis. You Midwesterners defend your area so well. I married into it. My in-laws are from Cleveland. And, you know, you guys just love your Midwest. And I understand it. Okay, so I'm going to wrap this up. But I'm going to circle back around with you probably in tomorrow's Daily Digest and check in and say, how has the conference been going? And then have you been sitting on any presentations? But uh, any final thoughts before we kick this off? No, I'm just thrilled. You know, the conference has, I think, 900 people, maybe a 1,000 people here. We've seen it grow and grow year after year from the first one in 2013, 2015, and now here in St. Paul. Um, so I'm just thrilled. I'm thrilled to get to see what's going on, see what's new, see what's innovative. And of course, you know, hugs all around. One of the nice things being ASAP, I have a national presence, but coming home and really being in a place where I've done most of my adaptation 
work is a blast because I think that I know pretty much every person I walk by in the hall. <laughs> well, I think you've already done, it just occurred to me, you've already done sort of an elevator speech, but if you have 10, 15 seconds, why should someone join ASAP? The reason that you need to join ASAP is that we are leading innovation and excellence across this field. When you look at the sessions that are being run and organized, over 50 sessions are being either run or participated in by ASAP members. The people who make up this organization absolutely are the thought leaders. And you can either, you know, be with us or not. But when you're with us, your work is going to be more efficient. It's going to be more equitable. It's going to be more ethical. And you're going to be able to blast forward. Excellent. All right. Thanks, Beth. Hey, everybody. We are back here at the National Adaptation Forum. And I have a previous guest here with me today. Who is it? Hey, it's Sasha Peterson from Adaptation International. Hey, Sasha. So why are you here at the forum? Oh, my gosh, Doug. This is an amazing event. I just love coming to it. I wish it was every year instead of every other year, but mostly I'm here because of the people. I love connecting with the other adaptation professionals that are working on these issues across the country and seeing them in person and kind of having that reinvigorating feeling that, yes, we can tackle this challenge and build resilience together. So this is the first day, and I'm still just getting to know people, but I, I sense there's a little bit different crowd than the previous one, and that's probably a good thing. I think it's a great thing. I mean, I think if we can expand the ranks of adaptation professionals, so it moves beyond like, hey, I know you and I see you all the time working on this particular project to now it's a thousand people from across the country working in different aspects of resilience. That's got to be a good thing. So we were here yesterday together at the American Society of Adaptation Professional meeting. Is that right? I can't always say ASAP. And Sasha was a previous director. So how do you think the members meeting went? I actually thought it was great. I mean, I feel like it was intimate in that there were 40 or 50 people, so it's not the whole world of adaptation professionals. But it felt like we were moving this forward, and there was actually a member meeting, and it wasn't just a concept of a membership organization, but it was a group of people who really wanted adaptation to continue and figuring out ways to do that in this current climate. Okay, and so we are just starting off this form. What's on your agenda? What kind of presentation you're going to see? Actually, I'm doing a couple presentations today, so my schedule is packed with that, looking at extreme weather thresholds and how communities can define those and maybe make climate science more actionable, and then some work uh, we're doing with tribal communities about how to make that meaningful. Wildcard question, who is going to win the NBA Finals? I think it's Golden State this year. That sucks. I want Cleveland, but, uh, you know, that's a safe bet. Come on. (laughs) LeBron and my in-laws are from Cleveland. All right. Thanks, Sasha. Absolutely. Thanks, Doug. Hey, Adapters. I am here with Chris Swanson from the Forest Service. Hey, Chris. Howdy. How's it going? So what's your position with the Forest Service? I direct the Northern Institute of Applied Climate Science and the USDA Northern Forest Climate Hub. Just to be transparent here, I know Chris. He was on a panel that we were on at the previous National Adaptation Forum, and we had a nice Minions theme, and Chris went along with it. So that was a great presentation, Chris. Thanks. Minion talk, my favorite talk ever. It was a lot of fun. Okay, so why are you here at the Adaptation Forum? Uh, we're sharing, uh, we're sharing sorts of the, all the sorts of different products that we create, information on vulnerability assessment, information on demonstrations of adaptation all around the Northeast and Upper Midwest, uh, information on species vulnerability, uh, information on uh, ways to adapt to climate change, both tools and processes, uh, ways to plan for it, uh, and also to learn from everybody else around us who's uh, sharing the same kind of information. You know, I think you guys are underappreciated, and I think the word is getting out, but you guys have just developed some really innovative tools. I think that you have a scorecard on climate change and really impressive work, and so I, I, I hope you're sharing that. 
uh, we're not shy about sharing our stuff. I will say that on the, the scorecard, uh, which is part of the Forest Service's uh, climate roadmap, uh, that is a, a national Forest Service uh, policy that uh, has helped um, the 150 uh, Forest Service national forests and grasslands uh, really um, step up to climate change and uh, think about it and uh, sort of kick it into gear to, to, to get ready for um, what we have happening and as well as what's coming. Okay, so are you presenting at this forum? And if you are, what's the topic? Yep, I'm presenting uh, tomorrow in a session on vulnerability assessments, and I'll talk about our approach toward vulnerability assessments, uh, talk about why we do things the way we do, uh, how it could be better. Uh, you know, there's always uh, compromises you make, and uh, and also uh, learn about other people's assessments. And, you know, together, uh, the suite of assessments with lots of organizations doing them, uh, that's where you get uh, that body of work that helps you understand the direction we're headed. So I knocked the Midwest quite a bit on my podcast, and you're a Midwesterner originally? Originally, I'm California. I'm actually, <laughs> I'm an eighth-generation Californian, actually, but I have relocated to the upper Midwest, and, uh, and I can't say enough good things about it. We rock. I've been <laughs> giving Midwest, my in-laws are from the Midwest, and that's going to be a recurring theme of this Daily Digest, but uh, any final thoughts? Uh, I would say that we've got uh, a lot of a lot of issues in front of us with uh, climate change and how we adapt to it. But uh, especially when you're at a meeting like this one, you see the creativity, you see the innovators, you see people who are taking this problem by the horns and and wrestling it down. So I, I'm really, really very impressed with the people who are here, and this is a, a really exciting meeting. All right, thanks, Chris, and I do hope to get you on for a longer conversation on a future podcast. That'd be a pleasure. Thanks. Awesome. Hey, Adapters. We are back at the forum, and I am here with Steve Adams at the Institute of Sustainable Communities. Hey, Steve. Hey, how's it going? What do you do at ISC? So I am the Director of Urban Resilience at the Institute for Sustainable Communities. So why are you here at the forum? So I'm here, obviously, to connect with colleagues from around the country uh, to see what's happening. Um, the growth of this particular event uh, from Denver into St. Louis and now this year in the Twin Cities is quite remarkable, both in terms of the number of attendees, the breadth of work that's being displayed, and the... Um, and, and, of course, just the, the, the fun of being able to connect with, with colleagues that I love and admire. So... To be transparent here, we actually go back a ways. You know, we've kind of circled back around, but uh, you were leading efforts in Florida on their climate change program under Governor Charlie Crist, and I was at the Fish and Wildlife Commission. And, you know, we were all kind of following your lead, and it's been a long time since those days, huh? certainly has. It's, uh, in fact, 10 years ago. Uh, it's 2017 now. Um, Governor Chris signed his initial executive orders in 2007. And, uh, of course, we included adaptation in the, uh, in the executive order um, at a time when, you know, Digital Coast and all of the other incredible science products that are available today did not exist. So even just trying to do simple inundation maps for the state of Florida um, and, and thinking about how to integrate adaptation into what was, you know, I think a, a largely uh, mitigation-driven um, effort at that time. Uh, so as we mark, you know, where Florida was at that time, where they are today at the state level, sadly, we, we have seen uh, an erosion of leadership, but we are seeing local governments step up. And certainly the Southeast Florida Regional Climate Change Compact is a notable example of where uh, local governments have stepped into the vacuum created uh, by the lack of state leadership during that administration change in 2010. 
why I think it's underappreciated the sort of infrastructure you helped set up with those whole state efforts. And I, I plugged right into that when I was at FWC. So thanks for your efforts. And it is very frustrating when people purposely take steps back when it's not necessary. But like you said, there's still a lot of momentum going on in the state. That said, you play a large role, and I've been talking to people from ASAP, the American Society of Adaptation Professionals. What's your role with ASAP? So I serve as the president of ASAP and sit on the board. Um, I'm a co-founder with a number of other adaptation colleagues. Um, uh, the, the effort began back in 2009 when I left uh, Governor Christ's office and really began making some phone calls. I, I had some funding to do some model adaptation planning um, anywhere in the country that I could I could try to to to, um, uh, to help facilitate some work. Um, and I was very keen to reconnect with folks around the country that I had talked to when I was still in government and um, and, and really just trying to understand what was happening um, throughout the course of those calls um, over two or three weeks in late 2009. A, a theme emerged. There was random acts of adaptation happening, but um, largely disconnected from everyone else. And practitioners were telling me, almost to a person, that um, there was not a good mechanism to connect. It was just very random that I might run into you at a conference and connect with you. Um, and so Terry Cruz, in fact, pitched the idea of a learning network, um, which was the, the kind of initial idea of uh, which grew into ASAP. So um, over the course of a couple of meetings um, and uh, with some early funding from the Rockefeller Foundation, we really tried to sketch out what this learning network might look like and how we might um, actually put some operational wheels on it. And at the conclusion of that meeting of about 50 people um, in 2011, I think it was, the idea that what we were looking at in terms of all the meeting notes, that this was in fact a professional society that we were looking at and that uh, in fact we should begin to think about it as such. What can a professional society do to advance the state of practice uh, and the state of policy uh, around adaptation? Um, and so it has certainly um, grown from there. Yesterday was our first all-member meeting of ASAP, and um, it, it, in my mind, a, a real milestone. Um, the first time that that paying members of ASAP have come together, and yesterday under uh, Beth Gibbons' able leadership, our managing director, I think we sketched out a number of, of really compelling ideas for carrying ASAP forward. I think a lot of what you do is trying to convince people why they should become members of ASAP, and I think that's always going to be a challenge. Well, I don't know that the general public needs to care that ASAP is forming, but certainly when they when they prevail, uh, when they avail themselves of services from a doctor or a lawyer, um, they like to know that that person is well trained. Um, they don't necessarily check to see if your physician is a member of the American Medical Association, but one presumes that that's the case and that your physician is bringing best practice to bear on the work that they do. So uh, just as we are seeing this emergent profession of adaptation professionals leading activities and working with professionals like engineers, like planners, and others who have rigorous training and have professional standards in place, ASAP is, in fact, building that around this emergent profession of adaptation. So ASAP is, in fact doing important work. Um, a, a working group just um, created uh, the first working code of ethics um, for an adaptation practitioner. I would say that joining ASAP gives you an opportunity to um, be at the ground floor to help design what good practice looks like and offer your thoughts and insights and really help uh, come together with other colleagues to really kind of chart the course for this profession as it moves forward. Thank you, Doug. Okay, we are back at the National Adaptation Forum. I am with my friend, Emily Wadsley. Hey, Emily. Hey, Doug. 
Could you tell folks where you work and what you do? I work at a small sustainability and resilience consulting company called Cadmus. Um, I'm the director of climate security adaptation and resilience. We call it CSER for short. And what we do is essentially bring together the technical expertise um, related to climate science and connect it with the users and decision makers that need that information in order to make decisions. Okay, but you have a much longer history, and we actually met. What were you doing when we knew each other? I was back in D.C. Um, working for the U.S. Global Trains Research Program, USGCRP. Um, in D.C., we have lots of acronyms, so there's one of them. And I was the adaptation science lead for USGCRP, where I connected um, the climate science community that was getting funded by the 13 federal agencies, um, supported by USGCRP, with the agencies that needed to develop their agency adaptation plans. So that was a big part of my job for about four and a half years, and we met at um, several different forums and enjoyed um, lots of conversations about how climate science was progressing and how we were going to be using it for adaptation. I did not envy your job. You were juggling like 40 different agencies and a 1,000 different people, and you just had to nudge things along, but we all appreciated the enthusiasm you brought to it. So, But why is Cadmus here at the National Adaptation Forum? Well, we are here um, to support the National Adaptation Forum in its entirety, but also to connect with our colleagues. Um, a lot of my really close work friends are here. It's really nice during this time of uncertainty to connect with uh, like-minded folks who are working on solutions in the challenge of climate change. And um, Cadmus is a firm believer in committing to sustainability and resilience for the long term um, for multiple generations. And so we're here as leaders, but also learning and listening um, to other folks that are in this field and really making movements and progress. Okay, we don't need to get political here, but you say times are tough, and I'll just say uh, rhymes with lump. But so what presentations are you planning to see over the next couple of days? Well, um, I'm really looking forward to a session this afternoon that one of my colleagues, Morgan Richmond, is helping to coordinate with Kim Penn of NOAA, and it's on resilient finance innovations. And that's a, an area that um, we're still struggling with in terms of looking for uh, funding for preparedness. So making sure that we're being proactive when we're planning and what funding could be possible in that arena, as well as some climate justice and equity um, sessions. I think, you know, given the fact that vulnerable communities are going to be faced with the most detrimental impacts of climate change, it's really important that we have a, a keen view and a keen um, outlook and voices for the equity community um, and the frontline communities that are going to be faced with the most um, harmful impacts of climate change. Okay, so you went from public to the private sector, and that must have been an interesting transition for you. What's your sense of the pub? I mean, the private sector as a whole when thinking about adaptation? And don't give me one of these. Well, Cadmus is so awesome. We love Cadmus, and they're doing all the great things. In general, the private sector. I mean, do they have a long way to go? I think, um, in terms. Well, it depends on how you how you look at 
private sector. So you have, you know, the, the corporations, which are, can be manufacturing companies, can be, um, you know, significant players in the supply chain. Um, and then you have consulting companies who can be, um, really helpful in sort of being that boundary organization between the corporations and the science community. But, you know, I think we all have a long way to go. Um, I don't know if it's, you know, the public sector, is more advanced than the private sector, but I think um, in terms of looking at opportunities when it comes to climate change and the economic, the social, the environmental um, opportunities that arise when it comes to either a market shift uh, for renewable energies, for sustainable energy efficiency and sustainable uh, measures, then and you know looking at different communities and how we're actually um, planning communities in the future. There are a lot of different opportunities that the private sector is really kind of honing in on over time. And so I think um, the public sector should try to think about more of the the opportunities and the, the solutions and the innovations that we can have in America um, that America has been known for in the past to really kind of leverage those and and celebrate them. Okay, final question. You are based out of Oakland, California. What's the vibe on the ground with the Raiders leaving town? Oh, yeah, that's a tough one because they're not very happy about the fact that the Raiders have been celebrating in Las Vegas recently. So, yeah, I think people are torn, but the the diehard fans are pretty upset. So we'll see how things go. But I think Oakland in itself is just an awesome place to be and a great city. So I'm excited to live there. Okay, I feel bad for the Raiders fans there, but Oakland Stadium is a horrific stadium. It's a dump, but I still feel bad for them. But thanks, Emily. You're welcome. Thanks, Doug. Hey, Adapters, we are back here at the Forum. I am with Ellen Stewart. Ellen, who are you with? I am with the American Society of Landscape Architects, and I'm also with the City of St. Paul. So we're in your hometown. We are, yeah. So I'm very fortunate that I got to come here this year. I've never been to it before, but since it is here, it was very convenient, and I wanted to see what was going on. I haven't seen a lot of other landscape architects here, but I was kind of curious about what all other people are doing in this in this industry. It's huge. So why is it relevant to your industry? That is a very good question. So landscape architects basically design and implement uh, community infrastructure. And so we do stormwater, we do parks, we do um, road designs, we do all kinds of things that people sometimes associate more with civil engineers. But we also try to do things in a way that's more um, environmentally friendly a lot of times and something that people can relate to. So doing things that have amenities that people find beautiful and also that are useful. So we try to do things that are like layered. Um, Doing green infrastructure is really important. Doing things that um, trying to maximize development by being able to take on stormwater in a public space. Those are the kinds of things that landscape architects are working on generally. So there's this kind of competition between Minneapolis and St. Paul. And no, I'm not going there. But I'm just curious, since it's almost like this real-world experiment, okay, Minneapolis is doing this and St. Paul's doing that, would you say that you two are comparable when it comes to, let's say, adaptation planning? That's a good question. It's, I, I know that we both had resolutions today that our mayors both put forward to declare this to be National Adaptation Week or something like that. But I would say Minneapolis is generally maybe a little more forward thinking on some things. They've got more people. They seem to be less conservative in some ways than St. Paul. And I feel like St. Paul sometimes feels like we've got something to lose to Minneapolis. And so for some reason that holds us back in some ways. I didn't say that and the mayor's not going to hear me, I hope, but. <laughs> my, I don't think my listenership's that big. 
<laughs> I'll make sure he doesn't listen to this. <laughs> okay. And so sometimes when people come to these things, they go back to their offices, especially depending if you're in a particular industry and you're that crazy person doing adaptation. Do you feel like within your department and your coworkers, it's like people are open to this? Are, are they interested in learning more about this field? I think they're definitely open to hearing more about it, but I work with a bunch of landscape architects. So I think just making sure that we're all understanding how our work affects adaptation or how we can affect change and um, not climate change, but how we can uh, make more resilient uh, and do things that are more resilient within our communities, I think is really important. So the landscape architects, yes, I can see it. Um, I also work with public works some. I would say that there's a little less willingness or understanding Willingness to understand or understanding with um, some of those more conservative professions like civil engineers, mechanical engineers. Um, but we need to all kind of make sure that we're working together and that we do all understand what's going on. So hopefully we'll be able to push beyond just the landscape architects. So looking at the agenda, did did you feel like anything was missing? Or do you like, oh, this is going to be useful all around? Was there something missing for you? Well, I think one thing that was missing was, um, well, in the tracks, it was either in the tracks, but there were different, um, two different things that you could look at to try to pick out like what you wanted to do. And it had something that said architects and designers. And I'm like, what about landscape architects? That was totally missing. Um, but I think that there's a lot more that we could be doing when it comes to parks and open space. And I don't feel like that is something that I think it'll get woven into this, but I feel like it's something that could have definitely been like a header for one of the topics. Okay top three things someone visiting St. Paul should do? Go to Como Zoo or Como Park. I have to say that. Do something down on the river, like go to Red River Kitchen, which is this great spot. You can get a beer down by the river and um, ride some of our trails around. Great. Thanks, Alan. You're welcome. Thank you. Hey, adapters. We are back at the National Adaptation Forum. I am with Tanya Graham. Hi, Tanya. Hello. Hi, Doug. Okay, so Tanya, where are you at? I am in St. Paul, Minnesota at the National Adaptation Forum. And so where do you work? Oh, I work in Ashland, Oregon at the ClimateWise program of the GEOS Institute. Okay, so what's the ClimateWise all about? Well, we help communities address the climate change issues in a variety of different ways, but primarily by helping them understand their vulnerabilities and then plan for ways and strategies that they can use to uh, address those different vulnerabilities. So we bring science, we help them understand it, we facilitate workshops, and then help them come up with an actionable plan that they can actually get started implementing. So how would you describe the GEOS Institute? It's kind of an unusual organization, right? Well, it is. We work on a variety of different issues all related to climate change. Our larger goal is really to help make communities, and both natural and human communities, whole in the face of changing climate conditions. And so for us, that means forest work, um, working on particularly temperate rainforests in uh, Pacific Northwest. It's also working with water managers out west to help them deal with climate change in, in ecologically friendly ways. And then, of course, our ClimateWise program that ha- helps folks plan for climate change at the local level. Okay, so my first few guests I interviewed really early on in this forum, and now it's been a half a day. What has stood out for you? 
just really hearing uh, the depth of engagement that people are doing in communities and the results that that's having. I think there's for a long time in this field, there was, we were still in that space of thinking, uh, you know, how does government sort of by itself manage these issues? And it's been really just great to see the various different ways that people are taking engagement right to the ground. So what's on your agenda for presentations that you want to attend for the rest of the day and I guess tomorrow? Well, I'm going to in a, a session right now, which is about using different assessment tools to help communities monitor their progress and to understand climate changing climate conditions. So I want to see what other folks are doing in that space because it's some of the work that we do. And then uh, later on today, I have um, uh, what else am I going to? Later on today, I think I'm going to one of the equity workshops in the afternoon. Okay, final question. I've heard a rumor that Ashland is actually not as rainy as the rest of Oregon and the Portland area. Is this true? It is absolutely true. Uh, people always, when they find out I'm from Oregon, they always ask me, you know, how's the rain, that sort of thing. And actually, southern Oregon uh, is quite dry and hot in the summer and uh, doesn't get anywhere near as much rain as Eugene and Portland. I hate you. I'm from D.C. and it's just miserable weather, so very jealous. But uh, any final thoughts? Uh, well, you should be jealous because Oregon's a beautiful place. But uh, I'm just super excited to be here. It's fantastic to get to be around so many other people that are doing this work and really trying to figure out how to learn what's new and uh, what is the cutting edge of the work that folks are trying in all different places, including in D.C. Cool. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks. Okay, adapters, that is a wrap here from St. Paul, Minnesota on day one. Hope you enjoyed some of the guests that I had, some of these experts in adaptation. This has been an exciting day for me. Familiar faces, people that I've had on the podcast, and I think some of the voices that were actually recorded today, you recognize as being previous guests. Don't forget to join the community group on Facebook. Just search for America Adapts. I'm at Twitter at USA Adapts. Again, consider supporting the podcast. I have a donate button. I'm an independent podcaster. Next week, I have Dr. Ben Preston from Rand Corporation coming on. It's really interesting. Dig into the field of adaptations from the perspective of Rand Corporation, a think tank. All right. Again, yeah, I mentioned before, I love hearing from you folks. I'm at americaadapts at gmail.com. Love hearing anything, any thoughts you have on the podcast, recommendations for guests, or just observations in general. If you can hear those sounds in the background, I'm looking at downtown St. Paul, looking at the Mississippi River. It's a really interesting uh, juxtaposition of things here. Uh, really enjoying it. And so I'm off to day two, and I'm hoping to have another daily digest later on. So kind of an unusual schedule for America Daps. We'll be back to normal next week, but multiple episodes. So I, I hope you enjoy hearing from these different people that are just knee-deep in adaptation. All right. I don't think I'm forgetting anything. So if I seem a little off, it's because... Uh, I'm not in my controlled editing environment, but I think that's part of the excitement. Um, all lots of great networking, lots of great communication, just sharing what I'm doing with the podcast with a lot of folks who had never even heard of it and now quite excited that the, to know that there's a podcast out there focusing on adaptation, filling a niche. And uh, yeah, it's been great connecting with folks that way. All right, I'll let you get back to what you're doing and I hope you have a great day. This is Doug Parsons.